0: we're
1: good okay hey good morning everybody it is oh my god that's Pastor. still not quite ready to be woken up um well i'm glad to be with you again as today we're gonna be continuing our study of uh the letter of paul to the philippians uh and uh, the theme for this letter is joyful together joyful together and we'll see some more of that in the section that we're going to look at today especially if we make it to the latter half of chapter one i'm not sure if we'll get there today or not um, but Paul is going to be bringing up some really important kind of timeless themes about the power of God's word and how God works in unexpected ways. And so let me start say uh, with a word of prayer and then we'll get into it. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your mercy that is new every morning for as the great good shepherd gathering us together as your sheep. And we pray, oh Lord, that as we study your word, that we would listen to your voice and follow you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> Has there ever been a time in your life where there's something that you were sure at the time
0: was bad? or felt bad?
1: Don't feel as comfortable sharing, but were any of you comfortable with sharing an example of a time, something that you at the time you're like, Oh, this is terrible. But later it worked out for good. Yeah, Esther.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah. Really yeah. Mm. Mm. Right. You know we've been for eight months. I'm not getting better, I worse. Right, what's the deal? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. and it's like I heard you know I love you more than you do mm-hmm. that got my attention Mm-hmm. And I thought what would you suggest I give you in your life to make the change and try to make mm-hmm. well that was my chosen. <sighs> like, oh, sure right thing. right Yeah. you want me to Hmm. Oh Don't leave me with Yeah. I Wow. Yeah, right. Right. Yes thank you
1: <laughs> that, yes because you knew that he was working on you right yeah
0: yeah it's beautiful right go figure right yeah
1: Oh, That just reminds that story. Thank you so much for sharing that. It reminds me of Paul in, in 2 Corinthians. He talks about how he has this thorn in the flesh. And he keeps asking God to remove the thorn in the flesh from it. Because whenever we have troubles or trials or problems, our first thought is just, God, get rid of this thing. And uh, what the Lord says to Paul, he says to us, he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness, which is a real pain. Lord, like, can't you perfect your power in my strength also? Because you're God, you know, I mean, you can do whatever you want. So, how about life goes really good for me and growing and all this? And God's like, well, I'm going to work how I'm going to work. So, yeah, it looked like it seemed like the worst thing in the world, but he was doing something greater. And this is so often the pattern that we see the, the Lord's MO is that through those things that seem at the time as though they were just awful and wrong, in fact, they end up to be some of his best blessings. We're going to see one of those, how it unfolds in the section of Philippians. Um, joining us here for the first time, glad to have you. We're um, in Paul's letter to Let's see. In the uh, Pew Bible, it's page 980. Um, we're going to pick up with verse 12. And um, as I said last week, we want to remember that this is first and foremost, a letter, okay? This is not just a treatise. This isn't a systematic theology. This was a letter from a guy, Paul, to some people, the Philippians. And we want to hear it as such. It was first read aloud in the context of worship as Paul was addressing the people. And so I'm gonna read aloud to you once again, the whole section that we're going to try and cover today. And then I'll come back to the beginning and we'll kind of take it from there. So I'm in Philippians chapter one. I'm gonna start with verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, it's proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Okay, so there's a lot going on here, and let's kind of set the stage a little bit. Paul is in prison, uh, as he often finds himself in prison. Oh gosh, Paul's in prison again. But I want you to put yourself in the shoes, or as I say, the sandals, of the Philippians as their, their friend, their leader, their teacher, Paul, he's in jail, he's locked up. And they're thinking to themselves as we all naturally think to ourselves, Hey God, where are you here? You've got this great teacher, this great missionary, this great evangelist, Paul, why are you keeping him in prison? Set this guy free. If you're really with us, then why do you have him locked up? Let him out already. And so the Philippians are going through a little bit of a a crisis of faith. And I think any of us have experienced that whenever you're thinking, God, why don't you act? Why don't you do something right now? Banging on the floor, as Esther so vividly put it with her her account, uh, wondering, God, what are you up to? And so Paul is writing here, especially in this first part of the letter, in order to show what God was up to, to lay out for them why his imprisonment actually advances the gospel and serves, uh, serves the, the purpose of the proclamation of the good news. So go into verse 12, he says, I want you to know brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And that word translated advance is a Greek word, prokopē, prokopē. And it came uh, out of military language. And the idea is that when the soldiers were coming into a town, there would be someone who would go out in front of them and would clear away the obstacles, would clear away the obstacles in order that they would be able to, to come in smoothly, okay? And so Paul's saying, what has happened to me? I know it looks bad, guys. I know you're thinking, oh, what could God be up to here? But it's actually clearing out some obstacles to the continued flourishing of the good news. Now that alone is already like, oh, like you were kind of getting at Esther. You think about sometimes um, these trials in the faith, can be a way that God is pruning us. I don't know a whole lot about pruning. My wife is more the one with the green thumb, but I've got some idea that it's kind of painful, right? This is where you got to cut off the dead growth. This is where you, you go through those things that in the time, you're, in the moment, you're like, ah, I'd really not rather go through that. But it's clearing away some of the obstacles, some of the hindrances. In this morning's sermon, I talk about listening to the voice of the shepherd. Some of those obstacles, some of those hindrances can be all of the other noise that we're hearing, all of the other stuff that is cluttering up the voice of the, of the shepherd. Um, so suffice it to say, Paul says, what's happened to me being in prison, this has actually served to clear some of those obstacles out of the way so that the gospel goes. And he lists, lifts up really three effects of his imprisonment. I want to lay these out. They go sequentially. So first of all, verse 13 he says so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard the praetorium is what it was called and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for christ now think about this the the imperial guard the praetorium would these have been believing jews or christians or would they have been pagan romans these would have been pagan Romans, right? These were not people who normally would have been on the radar for, these These would not have been your, your ideal candidates for Christianity and to receive the good news. Paul might not even have had an opportunity to bring the message to them, but he's saying, look, because of the fact that I'm in jail, now God has put me in, in this place where I have a, a strategic opportunity to bring them the good news. In fact, you might put it this way, I have a captive audience, but boom. Hey, because he's in jail. Okay. Um, and they're there. And so they've got to listen to him day after day. We see this in, in fact, when Paul's in jail in Acts chapter 16, it's the Philippian jailer when Paul is there and he's singing hymns. And the jailer's like, again with the hymns. We get it. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then there's the earthquake and everybody gets freed. And then the guy comes to faith. It's an awesome story. But the fact of the matter is, Paul in his imprisonment, he's saying, look, this is a blessing because now I'm able to reach people that otherwise I wouldn't have a connection to. Now, does that ring true with any of you in the, the places where God has put you and in your vocations? Maybe it's you know, where uh, you're working at. Maybe it's with uh, other people. I don't know. Does anybody care, care to share? Uh, or you know, if not, that's okay too. Yeah, go ahead, Tara.
0: not you Tara (laughs) yeah yeah wow yes right
1: it's awesome yes right that's awesome <laughs> there's no co-workers <laughs> that's awesome so tara's saying how she's had this renewed perspective and mindset there was folks who were just getting on her nerves at work but now these are folks who she's having conversations spiritual conversations with and she looks forward to going to that's awesome and these are people who probably you wouldn't be able to or wouldn't have a natural opportunity to converse with otherwise. Or, kind of along your, the lines of what you're saying, you wouldn't seek them out, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, for sure. It's such a powerful thing. So um, God's always up to something, right? He's always up to, up to something. And so to have that mindset in those eyes, not just, okay, this person is annoying, but oh, okay, maybe this is one of those sheep not yet of my fold that the Lord is, is calling me to, to attend to. Good. So this is the first effect that Paul lifts up, why he's been put where he is. The second one, he goes on, verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. This is really cool. Paul's saying, look, because I'm in jail, now it is emboldening other believers to say, hey, if if Paul can do that, like, yeah, I want to be like that. I want to follow in his footsteps. I want to be bold to speak. And isn't this the way it so often is, where you just need somebody else to, to go first? Who's going to be that first one who's going to, um, to be bold to take that chance? And then others are like, yeah, I want to, to follow that. There's this video that was going around one of these silly viral videos on social media a couple of years ago. And it was at this concert that they have up in Washington State near where we used to live. It's called the Sasquatch festival. Okay. And it's this big outdoor concert and you know, what kind of people show up at these things? Sheep of the good shepherd. Okay. Um, But in the video, the music's going on and there's one guy by himself and he's just like going for it. He's just dancing. I'm not going to do it for you here. Okay. Uh, But he's just dancing. He's going crazy all by himself. And other people are laughing and just kind of pointing and watching him. This goes on for probably 30 seconds or a minute. And then somebody else goes and says, you know what, forget it. I'm going over and dancing with that guy. He looks like he's having a lot of fun. And so they go over there and then maybe another 30 seconds pass. And like another half dozen people go over there. And then after like another minute throngs of people, like literally hundreds of people are all going over there and dancing and being ridiculous. It's a hilarious video. If I think of it, I'll I'll send it out to you guys later. But, um, if you just searched Sasquatch video dancing, I'm sure you would get it um, or strange things with a Yeti. I'm not sure. But um, what that video shows to me is the power of that first person who's willing to be the, the fool, right? Mm-hmm. Who's willing to just be out there and be bold. Others are going to follow, maybe not right away, but eventually and surely. This is the way that God works. He works through us through um, that, that initial step. And so it was for Paul. He was the goofy dancer guy by himself, right? Paul was just out there. "Ah," People are like, oh,
0: he's a little bit weird.
1: Next thing you know, we're sitting here in Arcadia 2,000 years later, right? I mean, really. And the dance goes on, still goofy. So this is the second effect that we see through of Paul's imprisonment. It's not for nothing. It's not for nothing. He has that strategic placement. Secondly, it emboldens fellow believers, And then the third one takes a little bit of explaining because it's strange and it's unexpected here. It starts in verse 15, where basically Paul says that his imprisonment is spurring on competitive charlatans. (laughs) It's spurring on competitive charlatans. What do I mean by that? Well, listen again to this. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What Paul is saying is, and this is again, just a human nature kind of thing. Think of it like this. Okay, so people see, oh, Paul's in jail. All right, Paul, the, the big evangelist guy, the guy everybody's talking about how great he is. So now the folks who are, like maybe on the fringes of the Christian movement, but still just have a heart that's very much in a, a worldly mindset. Their thought is now's my chance, right? The Germans have this great word for it. And Anne will help me with the pronunciation. Schadenfreude. You ever heard that word before? Is that right, Anne? Schadenfreude. Yeah, it's good. And sch- I don't know what it literally means. Do you know what it literally means? Joy at someone else's shame. Shame joy. (laughs) Schadenfreude is like one of the most popular things in contemporary culture. This is basically why a lot of social media exists for the sake of schadenfreude so that you can just laugh at other people's failures. And Paul's saying, look, there's, there's some people out there who now they're proclaiming the gospel just out of schadenfreude because they're like, hey, here's our chance to get ahead of Paul to show Paul. You're not so great. Look, I can go out and talk about Jesus, too. There's some who are doing it out of goodwill. Praise God for that. There's others who are doing it, uh, who are these kind of competitive charlatans. They're doing it primarily because they want to show up big, bad Paul. And so what you expect Paul's response to be is look, I love those guys that are doing it from goodwill, but as for these charlatans, I'll tell them where they can go. That's not what he says though. Instead, what does he say? Verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Whoa. Paul's like, all right. Some of them are doing it in, in pretense. They don't really care about Jesus. They don't really care about other people. Um, And some of them are doing it in truth. Either way, it doesn't matter. I don't care about their motives. I'm just glad that the name of Jesus is getting out there. And what this underscores, it underscores a really important point for us, which is that the word of God does the work. I say this a lot. The word does the work. Because if if it all depended on our human motives, what Paul would have to say is, Look, as for those guys who are proclaiming it in pretense, the gospel is not going to be effective. See, their mixed motives are going to undercut the message. Those guys who are proclaiming it in truth, then it's going to be fruitful. But as it is, God's word has this power within itself so that even when the messenger has mixed motives, still the word has power. Now, why is that good news for us? Because how many of us, show of hands, have perfectly pure motives all the time? Anybody? No, of course not. Uh, no. Uh, no, none of us. And you can get caught in that kind of vicious cycle of the kind of the navel gazing and like, Lord, I don't know if I'm doing this for the right reason. Right? Maybe I'm sharing Jesus out of great selfless love for my neighbor. Or maybe it's because I just know I'm a Christian. That's what I'm supposed to do. Pastor was preaching on Sunday about, you know, sharing good news with the other sheep. All right, Fine. Maybe your motives are mixed. There's Sundays, guys, I'm just gonna be perfectly honest with you. When pastors would rather sleep in. I know, I know. It's true. Especially back when I was on the West Coast and NFL started at nine o'clock in the morning. There's Sundays when I'd be like, can I just skip church? There's other guys that are skipping a church. Now my motives are pure and my heart is perfectly clean for you all. We all deal with the mixed motives. But the good news here, as Paul's saying, it's the word that does the work. Don't worry about the motives. Let the Lord sort that out. You're not saved by having a perfectly uh, pure motive. You're saved by Jesus. And now you are empowered and emboldened by his spirit to go out and speak the word. And he is the one through his Holy Spirit filter who is able to bring through the good stuff and to filter out the bad stuff. See, brings through the good, filters out the bad. You might call that a, you know, heavenly colander. Okay? out the good. All right. I like that. I'm going to, you'll probably hear that again. Uh, so this is, this is just, it's great news for us. And then kind of just the big takeaway from this first um, movement in the chapter here is just where we, we started with um, in the words of Joseph, the Joseph and the Technicolor dream guy, Genesis 50, this is what you intended for evil. God intended for good. God always Romans 8, 28, um, that he works all things together for good for them who love him. See not always in a way that's immediately apparent or applicable, but ultimately, and truly all things. Now I will say that that's not always a comforting word for somebody who's in that painful place, right? I'm just going to tell you from personal experience, like that's not always the, the first thing you want to say. Like somebody is, is really having a hard time. They just lost lost a job or a parent. And you say, hey, all things work together for the good that them to love God. Like, I know that's true, but you feel like you just kicked me when I'm down, right? Save that one. That's more a promise that we cling to in hindsight, right? It's more one that we, we look back and we're like, oh, yes, that is true. It's a hard word to hear sometimes, but it is, but it is true. He works all things together for the good. That's so what Paul was trying to lead the Philippians to recognize. This imprisonment, it looks bad. Make no mistake, God is doing good in that and through that. Any other thoughts or reflections, comments, questions from this first um, section that we're, we're looking at here? Yeah, Esther. Yes. Yeah, that's right um isaiah 55 uh esther's reminding us of god says my word will not return to me void but it'll accomplish the purpose for which i've sent it as the rain and the snow come down we get way too many reminders of this in northern michigan but constantly when you see the snow in april just say okay god your word is effective thank you for this reminder can we go to the other reminders about the sunshine of your love but anyway yes that's right isaiah 55 that's a great verse to bring into here other thoughts or questions, comments on this? Really po- powerful, potent stuff from Paul. Okay, so then let's go on to um, this next part, Continue with, uh, well, I guess it's the latter half of verse 18. So Paul, in the, the, those last few verses, he's talking about the welfare of the gospel. And now in these next few, he's going to really talk about his own personal welfare and, and the welfare of the church. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, some good Trinity stuff going on there. This will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, this is a bold claim from Paul. Christ is going to be honored whether by life or by death. So he's going to kind of set out here and saying, look, I know you guys are worried about me. Maybe Paul's going to be killed in this. Let me tell you right now, Christ is going to be honored. I might live, I might die. And either way, it's going to work out for the good. So he's going to kind of picture in your mind's eye sort of a a table here as Paul is is laying out these two sides to it. On the one hand, uh, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. So on the one hand, to live, that means Jesus, okay? Life is Christ. On the other hand, to die, that's gain. It's actually even better for me. All right, so you know he's got his pro and con chart here going here. He goes on, verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. If I'm gonna keep on going, that means more uh, blessing is going to come for me and for others. Um, But then on the other hand, I'm, uh, which I am, what does he say? Uh, But I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. Score the point for dying to depart, be with Jesus. That's even better. This is gain. This is better to live as Christ. I'm going back and forth. But then he says, verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So he says, okay, to die right now would be actually better for me, but to live is going to be better for you. He's setting out these two sides here. And the question gets raised, you know, how, um, how earnest is Paul right here? Like, is he legitimate? Some people have even said, I've read an article before um, saying, is Paul considering suicide? Is this like Paul is saying Hey, I'm, you know, I might take my own life. I would say hundred percent. That's not what he's talking about here. Although it is fascinating because if, if you were like, if you were in jail and, you know, you called up or, you know, you were in the orange scrubs and we we're meeting, I'm on the other side of the glass. And you said to me, you know, Gordon said to me, cause he's in jail again. And I'm okay, Gordon, here we go. Um, and Gordon says to me, pastor, you know, to, to be convicted, uh, could be good, but not to be convicted would would be good also. Which I should choose? I'm not sure. And I would I would say, Gordon, I'm not quite sure that's how it works. You know, I don't think you get to choose, right? No, Gordon doesn't go to jail anymore. We got that out of his system. It's all good. But it's kind of like Paul. What do you think? You don't get to choose here. But Paul is so confident in God's providence and an assurance that God does answer prayers, I, I really think that he's basically saying, look, how should I pray? What should I be praying for? He's wrestling with, what should my prayers sound like to the Lord? Should I be praying for deliverance right here? Or should I be praying through for martyrdom? Is that what I should ask of the Lord? He's so confident and assured that God is going to hear his prayers and answer that this is kind of how he's looking at it. Uh, you know, these guys, they're not the ones who are really in charge. God is the one who's, who's in charge. And if I were to die, to depart and be with Christ is far better. Let me do a Yeah, go ahead, Ann. Right. So uh, Ann, Ann says we're not to seek martyrdom. And that's true. I mean, it's not the kind of thing that you should go looking for, much less to stir up trouble. Like, let's see if I can get myself martyred today. If I get people angry enough at me, I bet you I can get myself martyred. It's not something that we go seeking. And Paul has not gone seeking it, but, he, but he's certainly in a position where it is a, a real and live option right before him. And so he's not going to seek it, but I think he might pray for it because he recognizes that God, just as God is able to work through his imprisonment, could also work through his martyrdom. And this has been the history of the church. The church father, Tertullian, famously said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Um, but it's not something that we go seeking, right? And, and frankly, it's something that only God can equip us for, qualifies for. So, Anne's question is, would praying for martyrdom count as seeking it? Interesting. Interesting. Um, asking for a Asking for a friend, right? You know, I think what we ought to pray for, I think what is it is important for us to pray for is the faith that come come what may, I will be faithful to you, Lord. I think that's the the prayer. I talk about this with the confirmation students because sometimes confirmation can just seem like, oh, this is a fun time. We get to hang out, learn about Jesus. I continually want to point them back to what they profess in the rite of confirmation. So when they actually get to their confirmation day, what they are going to say, not once, but twice. Is something to the effect of, I, I will ask them, will you remain faithful to this confession and faithful to Jesus even to death, even to death, okay? This is not just playing around, okay? But it's you standing up before the people of God and saying, I'm willing if it comes to that to die for, for my faith. Um, you all, if you're confirmed, you all said that at some point, right? Like, oh, did I sign up for that? Crap. Uh, pardon my language. Uh, <clears throat> but, uh, and so I think we all ought to pray for the strength of faith that if God and His wisdom brings us to that, we'll be able to stand up to it. But I don't think we need to pray for it to come. We don't need to pray for it to come. It'll come. It'll come. Yeah. Just like you don't need to go seeking crosses. Um, this was the mistake Luther would often say of the, um, medieval monks, is that they weren't uh, bearing the cross that Jesus gave to them. They were picking out their own crosses. Like, oh, okay, what cross would I like to have? I think I'm cool with uh, not having a wife cross, actually, because, you know, that's just one less thing for me I have to worry about. And Luther's like, no, 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 no. Um, Actually, some of the hardest crosses to bear the family because these are things that you don't get to choose right it just it's laid on you and others others like that so it's a long-winded answer to your question but it's an important question don't go seeking it god will bring good um so to live as christ to die as gain um just one other thought on that too The Bible actually doesn't say a whole lot. Uh, This is kind of just an excursus here. The Bible doesn't say a lot about what we generally in the popular imagination think of as heaven. Now, understand what I'm saying here. What the the Bible talks a lot about is what we say in the creed, the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. I preached about this last week, right? Jesus eating the the fish. And there's a lot about Jesus' return and the future new creation, that's where our hope is primarily oriented toward. There's comparatively little that actually talks about what in technical theological language is called the interim state. And what is the interim state? Well, the interim state is where we go and what happens after we die and before Jesus returns. Okay, the interim, because when we die, that doesn't necessarily mean like Jesus returns. Like I know that you're important, but it's not like, okay, you die and Jesus is like, all right, I guess it's time. Um, some people have conjectured or postulated that when you die, you get fast forwarded to Jesus's return. Nothing says that in the Bible. I can't, if you want to believe that, you know, more power to you. I don't know that that's going to be the case, um, but more we get the sense of this interim state. Okay, what happens in the interim state? Forgive me, this is get, if this gets too pedantic or whatever, you just shut off your ears for a minute and then I'll wave and you can open them back up again. Um, when we die, well, I can back up one step further. What does it mean to be a human being? A human being is a body and a soul combined. Think of in Genesis when God creates Adam. First, he, um, he breathes into him. Well, he, he p- brings him forth from the dust. For, you know, God playing down in the mud. And he creates Adam, but that's not all. Then he breathes into him the breath of life. We are both, both dust and breath, body and soul, both of those things. There's both the material and the immaterial parts. That's what it means to be a human being. This is part of what separates us from other critters, right? Um, we, we were at the zoo recently and uh, we're at the um, gorillas, And they're like, did you know that gorillas are 98.4% the same genes as human beings? And the the implication that they're trying to say is, so basically you could be on the other side of this fence. (laughs) Thanks. But clearly what makes you human is not just your DNA. See, what makes you human is the fact that God has breathed the breath of life into you, that you bear his image. See, so to be a human being is both body and soul what happens when we die? When we, when we we die, the body and soul are taken apart. This is, this is not, I have to tread lightly, put it the right way. This is not the way things are supposed to be. Okay. There is a time when the body gets pulled apart from the soul and we lay the body in a grave in the ground. Okay. And the soul goes to be with Jesus. This is what Paul is talking about here. So I said, there's not a whole lot that the New Testament talks about, about this interim state, what we usually just call heaven. Um, This is one of those places. What does it mean when you die? It means that your soul is with Jesus, that you are at peace and at rest in his presence. And Paul says, that's far better, far better. But it's still not how it's ultimately supposed to be. So what we are all ultimately looking forward to is the return of Christ Jesus. And when he comes, and isn't it interesting, the metaphor that the Bible often uses to describe this is what? A wedding. And what's a wedding about? What's the purpose of a wedding? A union, see. What we see, this is in Revelation 21 and 22, is the union of heaven and earth, see. And like a bride prepared for its husband, says, So that when Christ Jesus comes again, heaven and earth are reunited heaven is not a place on earth heaven is uh the new creation is heaven and earth reunited right now they're separated see because of sin heaven is this separate dimension that we don't have full access to we touch it through prayer through the sacraments through our our communion with god we're not we're not able to live fully in that reality but when jesus comes again heaven and earth are united body and soul are reunited in the resurrection so that the body that gets laid in the ground is going to come back to life and be transformed and glorified reunited with the soul the life that god breathed into it. all right that's five minutes on like a whole lot about end times. so questions or, or clarifications about that perfectly clear as what? yeah When was the soul developed? Is that what you said? Right. Good question. Okay. So, um, Gordon says, when was the soul developed or created? And this is something that there's been debate about through the centuries. There have some have been some within the Christian tradition who have said the soul is immortal. Your soul was just always there. And, you know, it's kind of like the soul was jogging along. And then at one point it's like, Oh, I got a body now. Um, and just continues on its way. Oh, I don't have body anymore. Going back to be with Jesus. And then, again, oh, I got a body again in the resurrection. That's possible. What I think is, what I personally think, and the other, other side of it, is that your soul is also a creation of God, and that at conception, that soul is, is created. This, again, is part of the reason why Christians are so um, adamantly pro-life, starting from the very beginning. Because here in conception, it's not just the conception of a, of a body, but the conception of a soul. God breathing life into it. Now, not everybody believes that. Like I say, some think the soul was just always there, immortal. Um, but others say, no, it's at that point. So it's a, but it's an a, a interesting question to to ponder. Um, okay, so there's kind of the, the the big picture you have of the future. What's death, resurrection? I'm trying to cover all the bases here in Bible study today. So Paul says, "I'd rather depart and be with Christ, for that is far better." He has in mind, although he probably wouldn't have put it exactly this way, the interim state. Okay, what we generally call dying and going to heaven. Um, this is also, sorry, soapbox one more time. Um, when when somebody dies, what we so naturally say when we see um, the, a, a body laid in the coffin is we say, "Oh, that's not that's not Grandpa. That's not really them. That's just a shell." I understand why people say it, but that's not, that's not the case. This body is part of who you are. What happens at death is we get, we get pulled apart. And on the last day, this body is going to rise again. And I I get it. We say that to try and be comforting or encouraging, but ultimately I think it's self-defeating. I think it's more powerful to say, you know what, this, this body, this is grandma, this is grandpa, this is so-and-so and they're sleeping. And our Lord Jesus is going to awaken this very body so that he's going to be better than ever. All right. He's going to be reunited with his, with his soul. That's our hope. Okay. All right. I'm off the soapbox now. Um, what else do I want to say about this, this section? So, so Paul is, is laying this out, which, which would it be death or life? Then ultimately, you know, he does the roulette Oh, life. It is okay. No. Um, says, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Um, you know, Paul recognizes that the Philippians need him. His desire is to go to, to visit them. And listen to this. I, I love this. Verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. That's a, a nifty, nice little uh, job description of the pastor. You know, you think, oh, what is a the pastor there for? God, somebody's got baptized and bury and marry people, I guess. But this is the this is the, why pastors are here. This is why I'm here. Why? For your progress and joy in the faith. For your progress and joy in the faith. I want to help you to grow in faith and to grow more joyful in faith. For us as a community to grow more joyful together. Now, this is not what you usually think of what a, a pastor, I don't know what you usually think of a pastor is for. Maybe don't share it with me. But this is what, according to the scriptures. So a pastor is for, to help you grow in faith and to grow more joyful. If I'm not doing that, let me know, let the elders know. Say, hey, this is what it says right here, pastor is for. Obviously there's particular duties and everything. Like I can't not show up on Sunday and say, hey, I'm helping you be more joyful, just not on Sunday. Okay. No, there's do- particular duties to it, but to recognize this is the, the foundational kind of purpose to it. All right, bottom line takeaway, and we're going to um, stop here. As Paul is setting this out, you know, he's saying, Well, what should I choose? I'm hard pressed between the two death, life. The bottom line is Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Whether I die, whether I live, whether I struggle, whether I flourish, whether life is easy, whether life is hard, Jesus wins that's some good news and that's worth pondering. So next week um, we'll continue with verses 27 and through uh, and following. And Paul's going to start talking to us more about what a blessing suffering is. So we can look forward to that. Thank you very much. See you then.